0: Lord Jesus, we uh, we thank you, we thank you, we thank you that we get to um, peer in, eavesdrop on conversations that have been had, Lord, throughout the centuries, the way that people have interacted with you and made sense of you and and... and heard marching orders from you and heard stories of what you're like, Lord, in this sacred text. And so we come to this like we've come, for many of us, hundreds of times before and, and maybe for some who came through the door today for the very first time. We come to this text because there is something that moves mountains when we begin to, to understand what you're like. There's something in us that begins to shift and change. We find ourselves convicted and encouraged and pushed and loved, and held, and challenged, Lord, when we come to the text. And so I pray that the question before us would not be, how did the people on the stage do? How did Andrew do? How was the communication? The question we would ask ourselves is, how are we doing, and how did we do as we interact with the text today? In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. One last thing I forgot to mention, if you are new or new-ish, or maybe you've been coming for a while, but don't really kind of uh, know the lay of the land of what we're about, what we mean when we say the church is a people and not like a building, uh, how we're structured, what we believe about, stuff. uh, We would love to have you next week is week one of this thing called Grow Track. We meet in the balcony right after. Service, myself, Pastor Sarah, some others lead that space. Uh, it's about 45 minutes. There's a free lunch, and if you sign up, uh, if you have kids and you want to sign up for babysitting, uh, for childcare, you can sign up. Make sure you let us know, so you can do that on your high card. Write grow track, and then if you need a babysitter, write that, and we will make that happen for you. Or you can do that the next steps. But that starts next week, so plan to stay for 45 minutes after service uh, for a bit of a. Sanctuary 101, uh, and then that begins to, if you stick with that over the next three weeks, uh, it turns into a time of, like, making sense of your own gifts, where you might feel called not just to serve here on a Sunday, but what it looks like to be engaged in, in, in uh, your current spot in your spiritual journey. So it's a great, great time. Um, it's, a, it's a blast. It's really fun. Uh, so I encourage you to come to that. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would. Um, let's go first to Luke 24. Let's start there. Luke 24. We've been in a series, uh, as I invite you to turn to Luke 24, been in a series that has used Acts 2 as a jump off. If you're unfamiliar with the scriptures, this is a, uh, an account of what the first church was like, a descriptive account of what happened when God showed up and sort of essentially gives birth and powers this brand new faith community. And with the, these first followers of Jesus or, or these folks that were Jews and folks that were uh, knew sort of the, this understanding of, of God, they begin to trust that Jesus really is the Messiah and they hear this message that God's putting it all back together, that this is what God is ultimately like. And what happens is, is they begin to devote themselves to some things. So the last couple weeks,'ve we've, we've walked through Acts 242. These first followers of Jesus, upon being just struck by the majesty and mystery and power of God, they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching because they wanna know more about what this God is like. So they devote themselves to learning from people who have been with Jesus. That's all we're doing, by the way, here. We are apprentices of Jesus. Apprentices, we're learning to walk the way of Jesus. This is why we reject sort of any kind of Christian notion that is about believing some abstract ideas in our head and walking out the door and denying those ideas by our lifestyle. Jesus says, if you really love me, you'll do what I did. We, we are looking and learning to practice the way of love, the way of life, the way of heaven here and now. So we wanna learn that. They devoted themselves to the apostles teaching. It Says they devoted themselves to prayer. What does it mean to commune with God? To ask God of things, to, to, to be dialed in to the Spirit. They devoted themselves, uh, we're told through all these different examples in Acts 2 to one another. They gave their possessions to one another. They made sure that there were no needy. They came together regularly for meals. There was something powerful about what happens when we come together and bind ourselves to one another. In a couple of weeks, we're going to launch a new series just called One Another. And we're going to go through, what is it, the 42, 48, depends on how you count it, one another statements in Scripture. It's not going to be a 42-week series. But just love one another. Lay down your life for one another. Carry one another's burdens. We're going to kind of just give some shape and put some muscle on how, what the next step is for us to grow as a family, especially as we head into the fall and, and get excited about some new initiatives that we're launching So today, we're going to talk about the breaking of bread. They broke bread together. So I I try once a year to speak on a couple things. Speak on prayer once a year. Speak on generosity once a year. There's some, like, tenets of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And breaking bread is one of them. And I'm going to separate that out from, like, food. There's a lot of conversation in the scriptures that I'm sure all of you are really up on, on these deep debates with scholars. Um... But they're talking about and they're going back and forth on what breaking of bread means and what it meant to just eat together and it was high identity in that culture that you would always be eating together and there was a sacredness to the meal anyway but then this term breaking bread sort of takes on a life of its own and so why when we come together do we give the apostles teaching and we make sure we practice generosity together even in a sunday space and then we come and we take the bread and we dip it in the cup communion has been used to divide so often when it's meant to be this unifying thing if you grew up in and around church you know there's certain churches you're like allowed to take the Eucharist in and others that you're not yeah for those of you who are who are maybe new to even our tradition you're familiar with the phrase Eucharist the holy meal not communion Eucharist is really actually a better better word for it I grew up in really low church so communion was our word Luke 24. I wanna talk a bit about the significance of this meal and why it is healing and critical and powerful. Now, the same day, this is after Jesus has risen again, but the disciples don't know it. the same, uh, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And they talked and discussed these things with each other. Jesus himself came and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But he had hoped, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but did not find the body. They came and told us what they had seen, a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it, just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. These first followers of Jesus are discouraged. Everything that they thought was going to happen fell apart. Let's just stop there. If you're here, and part of your story this morning is everything I thought that was going to happen, the up-and until- the right graph that I had about my life has not quite happened that way. In fact, not only has it not quite happened that way, it has literally been spiraling downward. You know a little bit about this story. This is a very human story of people who had expectations of what God is like, about what was going to happen, how it was going to happen and then being frustrated by a bunch of people that seem to be twisting it and making it fanatical. You notice these disciples aren't like, their conclusion isn't like, oh, the women came and they testified to this, and then the tomb was empty. And we came, and sure enough, the tomb was empty. They're not like, so it must be true. No, in this culture, women were not credible witnesses. In fact, that gives actually a lot of credibility to the story. we have mentioned that before. This is not a great book of dogma because it, it has things like women coming and saying, oh, Jesus must have risen from the dead. That would not have been a good, reliable witness and not something to put in your book if you're trying to make up a myth about someone rising from the dead. That's a different sermon. No, they come and they are discouraged. They don't believe these people that have come and told them this and everything that they have thought was going to happen didn't. And Jesus is walking along in his resurrection body. We don't know what that was like, this mistake. Like Jesus has been resurrected and somehow they did not quite recognize him and he plays coy with them. I love this Jesus. We like to think it's Jesus just Zen, but man, he had a little like edge to him, did he not? He's just playing, literally, I mean, he's playing with them in a, to a degree. That's how I, at least I read this. He's like, hmm, interesting, tell me more. How foolish are you and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things? He begins to tell them the story. And he says, in beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning themselves. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us. For it is nearly evening, the day is almost over, so when we went in to stay with them, they still don't know who he is. He's explained to them the story, but they still don't know. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were open and they recognized him. Turn with me in Genesis chapter 3 verse 7 or google that Genesis 3 verse 7 that language if you're familiar with the scriptures all the lights on your dashboard should be going off this is the story of this like this poetic powerful account this narrative poetry of, of what The beginning was like God made the world good and the choice of life and death is laid before these first people and death is chosen. And so in the story, you have a couple similar to Cleopas and likely it was their spouse that was there walking up the road. And there's this moment where the woman saw the fruit of the tree of good and evil, this one thing they weren't supposed to do is pleasing to the eye and desirable. She took it and ate it and gave some to her husband who was with her and ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. The eyes of both of them were opened and then they began to see sorrow and shame and recognize their, 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 their fault. Luke, in the story on the road to Emmaus, wants to let us know that the story has been reversed. When Jesus takes the bread and blesses it and breaks it, their eyes are open and they recognized him. The language here, if, we, if I could lay over, I should have made a slide for those that would be remotely interested in this, but you lay the Greek, the original text of that language over the Septuagint, which is would have been the, the, the Greek version of the Old Testament, essentially. They look almost identical. Luke is nodding like a good Jewish writer, a good Gentile writer, good writer saying, hey, 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 hey. There's something new happening here. All of a sudden, the story is changed. The same phrase, their eyes were opened and they began to see something new breaking out. In fact, Luke goes further. If we were to go through and count the meals, the seventh meal in the book of Luke is the, is the last supper. It's the last supper. And so this next meal is week, is day eight, is the first day, the beginning of a brand new week. Easter is the beginning of new creation. God's new world order had arrived and the exile is over. It's this incredible, incredible picture. And, and one more thing. In Luke, there's this central symbol that's carefully repeated that lies at the heart of this story. Jesus is recognized when he takes the bread and blesses it and breaks it. And then Luke says, a few verses later, summing up the, like, all of the entire like, the excitement that's going on, he says, quote, they told, what, they told the other disciples what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of bread. There's that phrase again. What's Luke saying? The last time he had broken bread was the last supper. This is the first day of a brand new week. And then Luke, who also wrote the book of Acts, where we get this description of they devoted themselves to what? The breaking of bread. In a list of all of these epic things, why the breaking of bread was so powerful was because there's something that happens when we gather around this meal that reminds us of that which is most true. Paul says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, 23, he's talking about giving some instructions for how we do this. And he says, for I have received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. Paul has received some words, some understanding from God. So he is passing something on to us. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. The body is the bread and the blood is the cup. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. So he's saying, take this seriously. I'm well aware that some of you have already tapped out. I did not begin the sermon with a fun story. I started with a bunch of Greek texts and things that are probably only interesting if you're a Christian and know some of these texts and these connections, and you're like, oh, cool, I'm aware. But I say all of this. Because in the in what can feel like the the ordinary, the the roteness, what what can feel okay, yeah, cool. We're gonna talk about why we go and take communion, and it's good to be reminded of that, I guess. I, I want to impress upon you that Luke in announcing something that many of you may not even fully believe in, but that heaven, since that moment, has been breaking out in the midst of this world. That the reason why there are still churches and the way of Jesus has exploded across the world, the way that it, is, it has an inbuilt like prophetic edge to it that corrects itself as people twist the words of Jesus, that this whole movement of the kingdom... This mission before us, that it began and is marked by a meal. And so when Paul gives all these instructions that I just read, he's going, take this seriously. This little moment, this small thing. And we don't do it justice when we take like a wafer and dip it in juice. I know that. This should be shared around a big meal with like piles of steak or tofu. It should be a celebration looking across the way at one another. It was always linked, by the way, in the New New Testament with a holy kiss, which is linked to what Paul's about to say. Like you can't have an issue with somebody. It's really hard for me to have an issue with Adam when I'm like, hey brother, it's good to see you and kiss him on the mouth. This is what they would do. This is why the holy kiss is commanded over and over and over and over and over in Scripture. It's a particular tradition we have not passed down. I think there was a plague at some point and the church started to shift away from that and we kind of didn't, didn't come back. <laughs> it's like, oh, you have the plague too. Come to me. God commanded it. Um, <laughs> these things are tied together. These really simple acts like a kiss like taking bread, like having a glass of wine. This moment, this language, this symbol is what Luke uses to mark out, this is the beginning of everything. And so Paul then in 1 Corinthians says, take this seriously. Luke's doing all this stuff behind the scenes saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there's the seven days and the seventh day, the last day of the week is is the the end of the story. No, no. The last meal actually is day eight. It's the eighth miracle. They didn't recognize Jesus in all of his brilliant theological exposition on the road and then he breaks bread with them and they see how he he, he does it I don't know if it was just like a move that he had I think what really Luke is getting at is he revealed his nature breaking himself open and pouring himself out for the healing of everything and so Paul says don't eat this in an unworthy manner take this seriously he says everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup so let's take a moment Let's examine ourselves. What are you angry about? What are you angry about? What are you frustrated about? What rage exists just below the surface right now? Anybody? Maybe it's just you're hangry. Whatever it is. What exists below the surface? There's breakfast sandwiches, I said, in the back. So anyone who's wronged you, and you've wronged them. Do you have relational tension with someone? What started it? Where does it sit with you? In Proverbs, uh, it decries the soul as having deep waters. It says the soul has deep waters. You're complex in the depth of your being. Like go swimming around in there. What are you stressed about? What are you worried about? Examine yourselves. Paul says examine yourselves. What's going on and where are you at? To examine yourself is to pull up and have the guts to face what's really happening because apparently that's important when you come to this meal. It makes sense if the meal is about, in some ways, of all the things it's about, it's about the beginning of a mission, it's the beginning of the kingdom of God, the place of heaven breaking forth. That a church is, 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 is like a countercultural insurgency in a culture where everyone goes faster and faster and fills their lives with noise and distraction and a flurry of activity, one of the jobs of a church is to call you to quiet reflection, to let go of the cell phone, to examine, examine yourself. It's really hard to be about the things of justice if you don't know what's going on inside your heart. Communion is when we take the bread and dip it in this cup for a follower of Jesus. When we begin to know then this backstory of of what Christ has done for us, there is this deep and profound meaning. It's almost why some church traditions have this sense of like, it almost like feels like it literally becomes the body and the blood. Or the term sacrament. Maybe if you grew up around the Catholic church, like that pings something in you. There's like something holy about what happens here. There's something powerful about what happens. There was a wedding here the other day, and I got to stand right here as a bride and groom said yes to one another. And all they're doing is literally repeating some vows and taking a metal circle and sticking it on the other person's hand. They're saying, yeah, yeah, let's do this. Yeah, let's let's do this. The marriage certificate signed some things. Everybody clapped. Was too quiet and a little too awkward because we got to keep the form together, and then they walked out and people closed oh, it. It's cool, metal rings. It feels a little bit more than that, right? It feels a bit more than just the sum of its parts. There's something about when we actually know what's happening and we see the symbol and interact with this moment that it begins to trend send it. This is what it is for the follower of Jesus. It's loaded with weight. Notice the progression of 1 Corinthians 11. For when you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. For us, bread and cup happen today. They happen in the present. You proclaim the Lord's death now. Quick question. When did Jesus die? In the past or in the present? It's not trick question past. When you take this in the present, you are proclaiming Christ's death, which is an event in the past. Jesus died, rose again, conquering death. And then we proclaim it until he comes. When you do this in the present, you are doing this until he comes in his fullness. When will he come in his fullness? In the present or in the future? It's kind of a trick question, I guess. The until he comes in the Bible, again, is called the renewal of all things. Peter calls it the restoration of all things. Paul calls it the reconciliation of all things. It's putting this world right here back together to redeem it all. And so when you take the bread and you dip it in the cup, there's a story that you're entering into. He is saying that when you take this in the present, the past comes racing up into the present. And at that very moment, the future is racing back to meet us in this moment. If you know the story, then taking the bread and the cup becomes loaded with meaning, right? Do you have anything in your past that is unresolved and unreconciled and unforgiven? Have you done anything that you're ashamed of? you committed sin that you're carrying around? Do you have shame or guilt in your heart and there's a weight on your shoulders? Then when you take the bread, and you dip it in the cup, you invite God to take the past into the present so that you can be forgiven and reconciled. You can be at peace with God. This is how we remember the very nature of God. We take the bread, the future of God putting everything back together. It's like we get a taste of hope. The reason why we end Pretty much every teaching. And why we center our gathering at the middle of it is around that table. Is because whether it is the need for hope and vision for God putting it all back together until He comes needs to come racing back for you. Or or it's the ache and pain or the realization of how we've failed or fallen short and need to experience that grace of Christ's death all over again and comes racing forward into the present. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. They didn't dabble in it. It didn't become dead tradition they devoted themselves to coming together around a meal and proclaiming what is most true at the center of everything, at least if you're a follower of Jesus, what we believe to be the most true thing, right? Right? It sometimes feels like the job of a pastor or any kind of home group leader or person, maybe with has some spiritual authority in your life, one of the great calls that gets put on their life often is to just, just be a voice of like, like a reminder, like a friendly reminder that what we're about to do can be beautiful and powerful, but so much of it has to do with the faith that you bring to it so much of it has to do with what you bring to it you're not changing the event itself but man you are changing your experience of that event and the posture of your heart it's often reminding us of the why why do we do this why do we do this why do we do this the future comes racing back into the present the past comes racing forward Jesus does not give us simply some like systematic theology or five points or an outline. Jesus does not give us clever acronyms or deep theological thoughts. He did not give us like seven steps to your best life now. (laughs) He gave us his body and his blood. The great singer, songwriter and poet, Sufjan Stevens says, when he's asked about his faith, Asked about what it, what it means to be a Christian, he just goes, well, it's really just all about a meal, right, isn't it? That's how he responds. I think Rolling Stone or something like that. He just goes, this is about a meal. The writer pushes him. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, just, it's all right there. It's just like, it's all right there, man. It's just, just come to the meal. This is, it's all ab- ab- about what Jesus did and what he's going to do, and it's all right there. And so how beautiful is that? Everybody can come to the meal. Everybody can experience healing and hope and vision and new life there. So we're going to go and we're going to take the bread and we're going to take the cup and we're going to sing. Because we are a church that is devoted, 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 devoted to this moment. I found things happen in all sorts of weird and strange ways at the communion table again, I'm often tempted to give like, here's eight things you could pray about. Here's 10 things you could think about. Here's two invitations that you could have. Hopefully those things are helpful some weeks. Today, I don't want to extend any kind of invitation. As the, as the servers come up, I, I want us to simply just come as we are. To come to the table with faith, not that like by taking a piece of bread and dipping it in a cup, something magical just happens. But that as we remember the story, for those of us who are here and followers of Jesus, this is like when we sing, like, how great is our God, this is in part what we are singing about. Everything's different. Everything is different because of what Christ has done on the cross. You don't ever get to the bottom of it. You don't ever get to the bottom of it. It is in moments and times in my life when I have felt most tired. But I found refreshment in new life. It is the times in my life when I have felt most invigorated and energized and full of life that I have found vision at the table because I am reminded that the God of the universe is love and has laid down his life for even me. My favorite quote about the communion is this. I'll end with this. This table is different this table of the lord isn't where sinners find christ but where sinners celebrate being found i had to do this but any sinners in the room any sinners in the room that's well, not something you want to like cheer for but to, just to be really clear even if you're here and not follower of jesus I know that's like not the like it's not the seeker-sensitive thing to say. We literally believe you are a sinner, made in the image of God and deeply loved, but you sin, you fall short of your own expectations. Never mind a perfect loving God. Right? Sometimes we just need to say that. Like, I need help. And thank you, God, for your help. I need deliverance. I'm tired of carrying this, and I need help. It's okay to not be able to fix your life. It's okay to know your propensities aren't toward the poor and generosity and love all the time. It's okay, it's okay. isn't where sinners find Christ, but where sinners celebrate being found. And so that's why some mornings, instead of getting all solemn and sad, we come to the table getting ready to dance for joy. We sing that you are good longer fear death This is one writer says maybe we should ask if anyone wants seconds to Hold up our little cups to toast lost sisters found and dead brothers alive So as we come to the table all you are going to hear As you take Christ's body broken dip it into the cup, a reminder of Christ's blood poured out for you. All you're going to hear out of the mouths of these folks is cheers. It's just cheers. You are loved. You are known and forgiven. And so we devote ourselves to this moment. We devote ourselves knowing that sometimes when we like going to a wedding, we find our own vows renewed. we come to the bread and the cup may we find our faith renewed and may we find vision for the mission ahead. Lord Jesus Christ Son of God, we thank you that you have mercy on us broken people and we thank you God for this simple and sacred meal that you've given us that you've boiled down in some way the entirety of, of, of our faith to just comfort and challenge, Lord, at the cross, at the table. And so we